It is uh, one complicated time to be a man, and particularly to be a dad. What, what does it mean when the Bible says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus? Does the Apostle Paul mean there are no differences between men and women at all, that we're all the same? In a day where, you know, the uh, cultural stereotypical qualities that have been attached to manhood are under attack as being abusive or for holding women down from being all that they can be, where, where gender identity is no longer being defined by your biological sex, it's just tough these days to know what it means to be a man and, as a man, what it means to be a father. E- even churches struggle with this. Uh, Reading from the same uh, Bible, some churches see men as the authoritative head of the household with submissive wives, and other churches read the same Bible, seeing that there really is no difference now between men and women, that we're all the same in Christ Jesus. And and I'd say that most men uh, and women at Fort City understand at a gut level that both extremes overdo it, but aren't quite sure exactly, you know, where the Bible lands, and it's kind of confusing to figure out where to land when our culture is so hard on the stereotypical male, where our culture labels the stereotypical male as the cause of, yeah, just so many problems in our world. Several years ago, I got some gentle pushback from some of the women of Fort City saying that Fort City Church was a man's church. Yes, a man's church. On on one hand, those women were happy that we had a church that their husbands wanted to go to, but on the other hand, as church-raised women, they were not used to a church that sometimes apparently felt more masculine than feminine. And I think what that was really all about was just how I'm very free to talk about my recreational passions Uh, I mean, from time to time, I would talk about my love for the shooting sports. I'd put a picture up of a recently harvested deer on the screen or even occasionally a video clip of a battle scene that illustrated whatever I was talking about. Maybe I'd talk about something that happened in the latest UFC fight or something like that. Not that uh, women aren't all interested in stuff like that. At least some are. It's just that men clearly outnumber women in these kinds of interests. Just like men, you know, outnumber women on our aisle, uh, you know, in certain jobs like uh, maybe heavy equipment operators on our oil sand sites. So Fort City, uh, you know, over the years has tended to take a bit of an egalitarian approach to leadership in the church. And back in early 2012, when I was checking this church out, the, the pastoral leadership team at the time was dominantly female with one guy who was serving as an interim pastor on a part-time basis. Much like I would throw a dead deer draped over my quad on the screen because I think that's cool, the woman on the pastoral team of the team thought having a fashion show as part of a Sunday service would be a cool idea. And on one of my first night's meetings with a group of Fort City guys over wings and beer or over wings and coke, I heard all about the fashion show and that Fort City needed to be rescued from these kinds of Sunday services. It was kind of hysterical to listen to these guys, but their message was loud and clear. Oh, and our, our women weren't to be outdone by the guys having wing nights. Uh, they started to have appy nights, um, and I'm sure they'll all happen again as things open up. And, and uh, some, instead of beer, for those who indulge in such a way, they would often go for fancy drinks of, of some sort. Uh, um, but yeah, the women were not to be outdone, but it didn't turn out to be the, exactly the same thing either. And I can assure you that a conversation at an appy night sounds very different than a conversation at a wing night. Why is that? Back to my deer draped over a quad in the fashion show. 
is it fair that I show on the large screen a picture of my quad full of recently harvested deer or a picture of me and a few guys playing with guns that are now banned in Canada uh, when we no longer, I mean, we haven't done any more fashion shows here on Sunday here at Fort City. You can message me your thoughts on how fair that is or not. But anyways, our biggest event as a church before COVID was our Father's Day uh, car show. We built it as a family event and we attracted lots of families. But the ratio of men to women throughout the day was easily three to one. But that event has had a huge impact, allowing us to reach more and more of our city for Jesus, hopefully next Father's Day. I know one guy who said to his wife as they drove by the car show that if he were ever to go back to church, this would be the church he'd go to. And we are now their church home, dad, mom, and daughter. One guy impacted the choice of two women, and they're okay with that. Even though it's very true for a city like Fort McMurray, if you reach the man, you get the family. But if you reach just the woman, you might get the kids, but then again, you might not. Is that fair? Fair or not, it is a reality, and it speaks to a reality that our culture really struggles with. It speaks to the reality that there's some basic differences between men and women, and the reality that it takes more work to get a man into church than a woman, although it's getting tough all around to get people into church, but hey, the Holy Spirit's on top of that, and God's building his church. So I'm just saying it's complicated. It's, it's not straightforward. And not every man or every woman neatly follows into stereotypical boxes. And all people matter to God wherever they see themselves fitting into the gender spectrum these days. They really do matter and, and deserve our love. Okay, with all of this as a background, I, I want to quickly give how I see the Bible working with men and women and then talk about one deep pa passion found within so many uh, men, this passion, I'll call it to be a warrior, to do battle for what is right and good. Not that women don't want to be warriors and do battle as well, but I'm talking about a male drive that sometimes our culture sees as a, as a negative, uh, that drive within a man to be a warrior, a drive that is uh, labeled a bit too aggressive. At the same time earlier this year, I, I did a series geared at men and women called Gracious Barbarians. But truth be told, men liked the word barbarian just a little more than the women did, and women liked the word gracious a little more than the men did. Let me give you this quote. I don't know who said it, but I like it. I think it captures the heart of many men, and it's kind of what I want to focus on today. The warrior spirit arises in a man when he loves something or someone more than himself and when what he loves is threatened. There is a drive in men to serve, to provide, to protect. It's a drive that when used right is a wonderful thing. It's a drive when used wrong can be a very dark thing. Okay, that drive is not in every man. Years ago, back in my Thunder Bay days, uh, I was doing some denominational travel, and my son had just moved out of the home, uh, leaving my wife and our youngest daughter, Susan, at home, oh, uh, and as well as one male boarder. Uh, some guy, uh, uh, very sadly strung out on drugs, uh, threw a larger rock through our dining room window and was trying to get into the house. Jane and Susan were distressed, to say the least, came down to cautiously investigate and called the police. Police eventually came uh, after the guy had moved next door and broke into that house and fell asleep on our neighbor's couch, all bloodied from trying to break into both houses. Now, in this scene, there is someone very much MIA, our male boarder, living in the basement. A word to any of you who are boarders. But anyways, he heard the noise and knew that there was trouble upstairs. So what did he do? He put on earplugs 
pulled the blanket over his head. Later told my wife, no way I was going to face anything like that. I'll tell you, he lost his man card that day. Gone. And my wife and daughter no longer had the time of day for this guy. They couldn't wait until he moved out. Because they had a very simple expectation. Uh, an expectation I'm sure that many women here would have. And that's when someone invades your home, the male in the home would serve and protect. He did not. Let's be honest. Women, even you know the most liberated feminist of women, expect the guy to take the bullet for them right when that situation arises. And most guys know that that is their duty. Why? Because there are some differences between men and women. They, they may be rooted in our biology, you know, how men are physically stronger generally. And, and that physical difference, among other things, impacts the roles we play as we support and care for one another. There is a drive in most guys to serve, to provide, and to protect. You see this in the stories of the Bible. There is a drive in most guys to be a warrior for those he loves and for causes that are close to his heart. And on this Father's Day, I just want to celebrate and honor those dads who have this drive to passionately serve, provide, and protect their families. But let me interject biblically. This does not mean what some of us thinks this means, what some churches have taught us this means. Men do not have authority over women in the home or the churches. Many churches teach, and many of you come from churches that teach that, so relax and hear me out. However, it's not the main point of my message, so I'm not going to give you an adequate biblical defense of this position. You can just feel to pursue that with me if you want afterwards. This idea that men would be over women, have authority over women, is a consequence of living in a sin-wrecked world. It's not part of God's original design for men and women. It didn't happen until after sin entered our world. Sin leads to what's called the curse. The curse is a consequence of sin. Sorry, this is a little theological, but you can handle it. And the sin disease or the curse is, is something you see operating in the world every day on every single newscast, right? Now, men and women are different, so how the sin curse unfolds in men and women is described differently in the Bible. Then God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, and he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch the living from it. And you know, work is hard, right? But marital conflict, patriarchy, and misogyny became part of our reality right away. The husband ruling over the wife is a curse, just like pain and childbirth. But friends, when Jesus died on the cross, he undid the curse. We won't see what it's like to live in a, a curse-free world and, uh, until Jesus returns. But friends, uh, the cross has conquered. The cross has undone the curse. And, and as followers of Jesus, our job is to push back on the curse, not perpetuate the curse. And that includes how men and women relate together. Every time you pray the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're praying and pushing back on the curse. You're praying for more of what heaven looks like, what we will eventually experience to happen in our world today. And then when you get to the New Testament uh, letters, that's where things get complicated. Churches today forget to read the New Testament through the eyes of how people in the first century would read the New Testament, and, and that's a big problem. Instead, some churches today, with good intentions, they read the New Testament through today's eyes. And I understand it. It's, it's done out of a passion to follow God's uh, word. It, it seems very straightforward, but it just doesn't work. 
it creates all sorts of contradictions in the New Testament that do not need to be there because they're not really there. The apostles, Peter and Paul, as they speak and write, they're talking to a culture that is deeply enmeshed, deep into patriarchy and really some very abusive forms of patriarchy. With wisdom from the Holy Spirit, they write in ways that turn things around, that begin to push back on the curse, that push back against the way patriarchy is practiced in those days. They, they write in ways that work way, wisely with the days that they're living in. To the readers of the first century, what they wrote was shocking, was liberating, was moving the church and culture more and more to what the world will look like when Jesus returns, men and women as equals under Jesus. I don't have time to unpack all of that for you today. The real call in the New Testament is for men and women, slave and free, Jew and Greek, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another. This is one radical statement for first century believers. We are not to lord it over one another. We are to submit to one another. We're to lay down our rights for the sake of the other. And in the process, men and women bring differing gifts and aptitudes to the table. Friends, we are stronger together. But remember this, we are pushing back on the curse, not perpetuating the curse. Jesus um, undid the curse on the cross. And, and that's really what's going on in the New Testament. Men and women, while quite different in uh, are equal in value, equal in authority. You cannot be equal in value and not equal in authority. Um, and, and that's really how God originally designed things to be. Now, at this point, I want to shift gears and talk about a part of man that if used, you know, that's in men, that if used cor correctly is powerful and good, but if left on its own can do a lot of damage. And, and I know that some women will identify with this story, but more so it will be the men. It's all about warfare and the skills of battle that God wants his people to possess. The ancient nation of Israel, under the leading of God, had battled their way to the promised land. They had with God won many, many victories. Under the brilliant, spiritually strong military general named Joshua, they had conquered almost all of the land. You know, the land that God had promised to Israel. But not all of it. Most of it. But not all of it. Along the northern and western boundaries of that land, large groups of enemies still existed. The question is, why did God not give them complete conquest of the land? I mean, why did they not get total victory? We read in the Old Testament book of Judges the reason for God holding back on leading Israel to total victory. We believe that it's the prophet Samuel who wrote this book, so Samuel writes, these are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not yet, who had not had previous uh, battle experience. So do you see it? There it is. There's the reason God did not let Israel conquer all of the land that was promised to them. He wanted later generations to know how to fight. He, he did not want one generation to conquer all of the land so that the later generations became soft, lacking a warrior spirit. The new generations would have to fight. They would have to defend Israel's borders. This is a principle that I think goes beyond Old Testament Israel and needs to be part of the church today, and especially the men of the church today, but not only men, but yes, men in particular. And I'm grabbing this idea from a guy who speaks a lot about biblical manhood while understanding that men and women are equal in status and authority. I'm talking about Stephen Mansfield, whose book, The Search for God in Guinness, is one that I often quote. 
uh, Mansfield writes, we are not meant to have our battles won for us. We are not meant to dissolve into softness and luxury because previous generations have won a measure of victory for us. We have battles of our own to win. To be men. To be good, righteous men. We need to be warriors. Or to use a term that I like to use, gracious barbarians. Much of what we as men are made to do is about battle. It is about going to war. It's about standing for family, for good, for right. While historically that has often meant bloody conflict and still does in parts of the world today, that's not what I'm thinking of. The battles I'm thinking of include, you know, the battle for self-mastery, for self-control. We've got to battle some of those lesser drives, sinful drives, addicting drives, and be all that we can be in the power of the Spirit. And, and this means war. We protect. We stand at the boundaries of the lives that are closest to us, our wives and children, our extended families, our friends, and we contend for their good or their future or their destiny. And by the way, that means we pray and we fight spiritual battles and contend in godly ways for the well-being of our families or the people we live with and work with. You know, I think a large number of the battles that we're engaged in are invisible you know, uh, you know that, that battle for ourselves and, and those dark spiritual forces that uh, spread destructive ideas uh, throughout our world and in our minds. We contend at work. We contend for the financial health of our families and the causes we support, uh, uh, like, like our church. And, and we push back against unclean things that maybe have been passed down to us through family lines. Friends, I just want the heroism that is in my family, not the racism. You too, right? We promote graciousness, not drunkenness. There is both graciousness, lots of it, and a little bit of drunkenness in my family background, so my calling is to contend for graciousness and war against the drunkenness. I get that a lot of women are saying, hey, Doc, wait a minute. I feel a lot of this stuff too. And many of the passions that are part of men are found in women. And many of the passions of women are found in men. But men do have this drive to serve, to protect, to provide. And, and we need to honor that, to celebrate that. Uh, um, we need to help men use those drives in healthy, uh, um, productive ways. So it's just my conclusion, you know, as I read through all of the stories of the Bible, that we kind of need to work at restoring a bit of a warrior spirit in men. And I know how politically incorrect that sounds. We live in an age where male violence is often a plague in our society. But, but friends, the, the warrior image that I imagine, the, the warrior that our God wants to raise up, starts on his knees, deeply committed to making our city and world safer, our homes more secure, our families better served and cared for. But I get the concerns. Sexual abuse is a plague. The trafficking of 48 million people worldwide is largely to serve sick men who feel entitled to use their strength to dominate and pervert. It is inexcusable. And that's why I'm talking about warriors who are gracious barbarians, who are warriors who first take up the weapon of prayer. Getting this warrior spirit of a gracious barbarian will not come from watching more war movies or wearing camouflage, though I'll admit to have done in both. But that's not going to do it. It, it, it has to start as a work of God. He created us. And I believe God intended us to know, just intended us to know how to fight the righteous fights of our lives and that it's not done on our own. 
It's done in the power of the Holy Spirit. So on this Father's Day, to the men here and the men watching online, here's my challenge to you. Start with prayer. And you ask God to open your eyes to the true spiritual battles of your life. Most men aren't warriors because they don't know they're in a fight. Most guys I know, even Christian guys, tend to see the world in natural terms. They don't know that there's an unseen enemy at work. But, but here's the truth. Darkness is always on the edge of our hearts and minds, trying to draw us into porn, into an affair, into an addiction, into raging ways of violence, into financial dishonesty, and just a thousand other bondages that seek to ruin our lives. And so we fight back. We call on the artillery of the Holy Spirit, and we win. And I know it's not just men. But it is men, and as men, we need to rise up and fight in the power of the Holy Spirit. And friends, we will win. So much more I could say. I I have a lot of passion about all of this. It's not a hierarchical view of men and women. Some churches call it complementarianism. And at the same time, we got to recognize that there are major God-given differences between men and women that are far deeper than culture. Men, you do have a drive to serve, to provide, to protect. You have a drive to fight for what is right. And my challenge to you is to constantly pray, Lord Jesus, open my eyes uh, uh, to see, show me the battle so that I can step into it and fight in the power of the Holy Spirit. Fight for yourself, for your wholeness. Fight for your marriage with love and service. Fight for your kids, for their future. Fight for your work by being the best that you can be. And fight for your city and country by being an engaged citizen who participates in our city and country in in God-honoring, kingdom-advancing ways. And yes, a lot of this goes for women as well, but if we could all encourage our men to just step up and be warriors, to be gracious barbarians, our homes, our church, our city, our country would be healthier and stronger. Join with me as I pray, and would you just kind of take the prayer that I'm praying and pray it along with me and make it your own personal prayer. So just take my prayer and Pray it in your own words with me. Father God, would you open my eyes to the battle you're calling me into? Fill me with your spirit to fight the battle in your strength, in your way. Just just ask him that. Teach me to take up the weapon of prayer, to move with love. Train me to be a family changer, a, a work changer, a city changer, even a world changer. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.